Welcome to episode 52 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. We're going to talk about do people need aftercare? That's always a question that we get. I'm Michelle Dunbar, Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and I will be discussing do people need aftercare (laughs) and how people actually escape the addiction treatment and recovery trap. We offer two ways to work privately with a freedom model instructor at our beautiful St. Jude retreat and also via Zoom with our at-home Freedom Model private instruction. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and at TheFreedomModel.org and about our at-home private instruction at LeaveAddictionBehind.com. Do you need aftercare? No. No. All right. right. I guess we're done with that discussion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so uh, we were talking about this this morning because somebody was asking about aftercare again. And this has been coming up for years and yeah. decades. Uh, yeah. yeah, decades, forever. Well, be, well, well, because people think you know you gotta you gotta have some kind of support out there, especially because when people ask me, it's because your your model is so against the grain. Like there should be support for us out there because yeah. your model is so different. Yeah, and and here's the term that's that's a dangerous term, and it's maintain recovery. Yes. Right? Yeah, Aftercare yes. is used to maintain recovery. Now think about the title of our book, The Addiction and Recovery Trap. Yeah. Escape so, it. Yeah. So, right? You're supposed to escape it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so we literally are the opposite of, of uh, maintaining recovery. The only reason you would ever maintain recovery is if you feel you have a disease from which to recover from. Right. First of all. Or you feel you have a disorder from which to recover from, or you feel that there's a battle being waged within yourself against a drug that's personified. So if you believe in any of those things, you have to maintain vigilance against that. It's right. like having, a, you know, taking your vitamins against a virus or whatever medicine or antibiotics because the virus is out to get you. You better maintain the medicine. Yeah. Right? And recovery is medicine for the disease of addiction. But the disease of addiction doesn't exist, so logically you have to question whether recovery is necessary. So I just wanted to lay out the building blocks in a clear way at the beginning so people understand where we stand. Um, There is no need for aftercare if you understand that drugs and alcohol do not contain power or that there is a loss of control. I want to be clear about this. Loss of control is a myth. Um, people are always in control of their consumption, even when they feel they're out of control, they're still making the choice to consume it. So uh, there's no there's no recovery, there's just choices to be made. So yeah. I, I just wanted to lay that out. Yeah, there's choices to be made, and we want to help people to move on. Right. Right. Yeah, that's. The I goal. mean, that's really that's really our goal, and um, you know, first of all. We, I know we've said this a million times if you've been listening to the podcast, but over 90% of people get over their drinking problems. Over 95, 96% of people get over their other drug problems, right? And this is whether they're treated or not. And if whenever you can find a treated versus untreated comparison, um, the treated group doesn't do any better. Right. And that's a minority of people. Everybody's claiming nobody gets treatment. Yet, the big epidemiological surveys show again and again that people do get over this, most of them. So, if most people are getting over this without treatment, 
they're getting over it without aftercare. That's right, without and recovery. And they are getting over it without meetings because meetings are often counted as treatment. That's counted as some kind of formal help in the, right. in the research. And, you know, so, so first of all, it's not necessary, but then, like, is it helpful, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think I, I ran into a story in the Atlantic, uh-huh. uh, yeah. and this was, it's called, I don't, I won't drink today, and I won't get the virus today. And um, it says, Alcoholics Anonymous prepared me for the pandemic. This is how it opens. Allow me to brag for a minute. I'm a pandemic shutdown champion. I sit in my apartment day after day, week after week, focused on getting through the next few hours and not allowing myself to worry too much about or even think too much about the future. For this superpower, I have to thank Alcoholics Anonymous. And I like this article because she says in a way that people rarely straightforwardly say what the recovery sort of model uh, is. Um, Here's, I'm going to skim down further. Uh, Like so many things in AA, the one day at a time mantra seemed nonsensical at first and later became gospel. Thinking, I can't have a drink ever again, or even I can't have a drink this week is sometimes too much, but I can't have a drink today is manageable. Over the past 23 years, I've worked to trick my brain into staying in the moment, not dwelling on the future or on the past. Um, there's there's more in here, right? But her, what she has learned is that she can't drink, and she's got to resist that one God. day at a time, a few hours at a time, and that she compares this to the torture of having that we're all going through of kind of being quarantined right now right and living with this horrible state of affairs and trying to just slog through it do you want to be 23 years down the line as she (laughs) yeah i can't even imagine and feeling like you're just as close just as close to disaster as you were 23 years prior yeah and that you can only every day Think about not drinking. Oh, God, what and torture. Fo- do you, you know what I mean? And yeah. so there's, in, in other parts of uh, psychology, right, in the, in, the, in the PTSD realm, we've talked about this one a lot. Yeah. They've compared a very short treatment where people do like two weekends, I think it is, mm-hmm. yeah. of sort of intense, like, let's deal with what the you've trauma. been through and the trauma as compared to people who are meeting up in some kind of a group therapy for it week after week. Right. And the people who meet up week after week, they continue to have more symptoms. And these are randomly assigned things that they did with veterans, right? Um, And the ones who just sort of dealt with it and moved on have less symptoms, get over it quicker, all of this. The other people, they drag it out. So we're looking at this and we're saying, why drag this out why have your attitude be i can't drink so let me resist that one day at a time what we're saying is you can get to a point where you look at alcohol or you look at other drugs really in a take it or leave it mindset like i don't care about that drug 
the way that I used to. Like, it is not as important to me as it used to be. I have other ways I'd rather spend my time. Being intoxicated all the time, it's not attractive to me anymore. And where you move on from it, instead of focusing on not doing it. that That's what we're trying to inculcate, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's similar to, I just, we just sold the house that I've been in 13 years, and we just moved into a new house this week, and this morning, I woke up and I'm like, I haven't thought of the old house. Right. Like, I just didn't think of it. And even my husband was like, I haven't thought of it either. Like, we, you, we just, we had decided we were ready to move on, yeah. to do something different, and as, as much as that, I mean, you go, you, we've been there 13 years, it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere, you know, you just decide, that's not my life anymore, right. and, and I want to do something different now, um, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to a support group, because I left my old house, right. you know, I, I don't have to keep, because that's what the goal is of the freedom model is to help people to figure out, you know, maybe that was my life for the last 20 years. Um, but I do have this vision of a future that's better, Yeah. you know, and, and, you know, if I had to, I, my, one of my first week of meetings, I'm 22 years old and Mark might remember this meeting. I think it was a Burton Hills meeting. And, um, and this guy, Bob, do you remember Bob? Well, of course, I can see him in my mind's eye right now. <laughs> he he chaired Bob. the meeting. Bald Bob. Holy crap. And I'm, it's like my third meeting. <laughs> he my... says the balding man. <laughs> yeah. yes. That's why I can say it. That's why you can say it now. <laughs> if Bald Bob is out there, I'm bald now too. We're going going there bald. Go. There you go. So, but Bald Bob, let me just tell you, we, in AI, everybody gets nicknames. But, <laughs> I mean, they're cruel. Because, they're cruel well, because you can't, because it's a clandestine cult. You can't know their last name. It's That's fucking right. weird. So you have to like... <laughs> oh my God. Anyways. So he chaired the meeting. It was like my third meeting, second or third meeting. And he was a very dramatic guy, really loud and dramatic. And he held up his... He goes, I'm Bob and I'm an alcoholic. And he held up his coffee cup and he's like, grabs it. And he's like, and I'm still only this far from a drink. He's like yeah. holding it up and uh-huh. I'm thinking... Oh, hell no. This is so <laughs> yeah. not for me. <laughs> Damn, we've all seen Five that. years. He was five years sober. Yeah. And here's the thing is that's not just AA. No. That's right. There's So the insidious part of like aftercare, right? And, and again, let's go back to that PTSD thing. If you get together every week with people under the idea that I have to really keep processing this trauma. Oh, yes. Because it's... I'm damaged. Well, then you're reinforcing that you are damaged every week. And you're, and, re- is, and you're reliving the past, bringing it present. Yeah. And this is not, you know, we're not talking about recovering from a broken leg or some kind of physical disease. We're talking about a psychological condition, right? So it matters psychologically if you, if you reinforce the idea that you're going to struggle every week, right? right. You know, like, and... So, you know, and that's why, like, in the CBT, in the sort of ideal CBT world, right, they've said, they've said, we're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to meet with a client more than 25 sessions. Yes. Right? Like, now, not everybody follows that, and I'm finding out more and more 
there's a lot of people who call themselves CBT therapists that don't do anything close to CBT. Oh, I know. That <laughs> but, really seriously irritates but me. But that was among the real strict practitioners. It was like, you don't meet with somebody for more than 25 sessions. Yeah, they, they understood and the danger. The, mm-hmm. Because, the yeah, the danger is that if they keep coming to you under the idea that I'm screwed up and I need somebody to help me, well, then that's who they become. That's their identity. And a huge thrust in the freedom model is let go of the alcoholic identity or well, the not, addict identity. Not only that, but think about this to your to your point with CBT. Um, the therapist doesn't have any power to fix the person. And if you keep that that relationship together, what happens is eventually the person starts to think they need the therapist to fix them. That, that I think people think that right on the uh, on the, the outset of going to see a therapist, like this person's going to fix me. And I and I think that's why right from day one we say you don't need recovery, and it shocks people. Yeah. Because we're immediately saying, oh, this ends, mm-hmm. and then people are forced to think about, well, when it ends, what do I do? Yeah. Right. And we we tell them this from day one when they come to our retreat or they're in classes with us via private instruction in the book. Yep. You know, it's spelled out in detail. You're in a recovery trap. Make no mistake. The model is designed to keep you in it, yep. keep you paying, keep you immersed in some sort of treatment modality for a disease that doesn't exist. That's it's 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 totally unnecessary. But it's not unnecessary. You'll need recovery if you hang on to the mythology. And and if you believe a statement like this, think about this if to the listeners out there, if if I say alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful, right? Which is a, a, in the big right book. Right in about, the big book. Right. How it works. Um, so if you believe that it's cunning, baffling, and powerful, and your first inclination is, oh my God, it is, well, then you're in the trap. Because yeah. alcohol can't think, doesn't mm-hmm. have motives, it's not a disease, it doesn't have power over your thoughts, it doesn't do the things you think it does. And when I say those statements, if you don't believe them, you need to read our book because yes. you're living in a fantasy world that's been taught for, for, for 80 years and has become a cultural sort of icon. So um, it, it comes down to, for us, we, somebody enters our program, then we teach them right off the bat, you're not going to need aftercare. It kind of scares them at first because they don't understand and then we go through and then when we deconstruct addiction, we deconstruct the need for recovery, we deconstruct the idea that you need aftercare, they're amazed. They're like, oh, I really can be free. Yep. Yeah. I, I didn't know that, you know, and I can move on. Really, I can move on. I say, yeah, you can. You know, and it's wonderful. when they start doing something to move on with their lives, they realize it's not an issue. That's right. And some don't start doing something to move on with their life. And that's really... Then it then it continues to be an issue, That's right? right? Like That's you you are what you think, yeah. What you concentrate, and so on. that is mm-hmm. why we won't offer aftercare, you know. And people have begged for it. People have I, I know I've had parents call, and this is before somebody signing up, you know, ads are signing. Well, you know, I think it needs like a a, a year of aftercare. You know, it's like well, we you know we don't do that. We're trying to teach people to sort of deal with this and move on. Well, really, though, is you're going to need, you know, I'll pay for it. I'll pay uh, anything for it. You know, I've yeah. heard that. And, oh, yeah. You know, 
I've done a little bit of extra long things with people that were like, look, I have to do this for child uh, custody. So just... Right, so we've extended co- things. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so let's do... You just give me other things to study because I'd rather do this with you than with anybody else because you helped me. And so in those cases, like, all right, I need to help you with the sort of technicality to keep you doing something, then we'll do that. That's that's. But otherwise, whenever somebody's like they, they're asking for this long thing, I'm like I say no. There's you know they're like come on invent something. No, you know like yeah, that's right. There, there's I, I don't want to further the idea that you're broken. Right, right. There's this idea that that how is this person? So you're just it, immediately when we say there's no aftercare, they're like so you're just saying they just have to have willpower and they leave, <laughs> and it's like. No, it's, it's, yeah. it has nothing yeah. to do with that. It has to do with they're they're getting all of the information so they can evaluate their life moving forward, and and so and that's it's it's so deceptively simple that you just change a preference, and and it really is in the long run relatively easy as long as you have the right information. Yeah, we keep going back to that, and I know if you're a new listener out there or or if you're struggling and you haven't really taken a look at the freedom model, um, my advice is to go online, get a copy of it, and then read, or just just go onto Amazon and read the table of contents, and you'll see just how many myths we debunk. Yeah. And when if you look at <clears throat> that table of contents, I was talking about this in a video this morning that I put on social media. All the little topics, all the little myths, make up and there's dozens of them, they make up an entire paradigm that keeps you trapped. So when on the front end, when the person hasn't been deprogrammed from all of that misinformation, they really feel they need support because the weakness argument is a fundamental building block of this sort of cult, the idea that you need treatment and aftercare. So... um, it's well, yeah, I mean, that's that woman who wrote that article in The Atlantic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She calls being able to sit through the pandemic a superpower that yeah. she learned yes. from AA. Yes, yes. And she can be strong basically one day at a time or a few hours at a time. And and, the, and that, so if you go into it with this attitude, that's the geez. foundation of the whole thing. I have to be strong to resist this drug. You're in for a life of struggle. Yeah, because you believe the drug has power. Well, I ask people, I go, how long do you think you can run from a lion? Yeah. I mean, how long? Eventually, yeah. don't you get tuckered out? Right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, and the lion eats you, which is why I genuinely think that whole mindset. I mean, if she's being perfectly honest, if she's, if she's anyone who's got any time together in A, if they're being perfectly honest, would have to admit, I'm happier this way. I'm happier not drinking. I'm happier going to meetings with my friends at the meetings. I'm happier. They're not they're not white knuckling it. Right. Or they're very proud of, of the white knuckle. Of, of the white knuckling. <laughs> of of the superpower. That's what her yeah. Own is. yeah. And and I remember being yeah. a member of AA and feeling a certain pride. You know, when people say, Congratulations. Oh, yeah. if you're sober, congratulations. Now even even It feels back, prickly to me. I always like ah, that's that is weird. Yeah. But, but a part of me liked it because it was it was something that I had achieved, this struggle. <laughs> yes. You know? And um, it's totally unnecessary. 
Yeah. It, it is. It is. And I want to go back to the trauma thing for a minute. When I, when people come in, a lot of people come in and they'll talk about, well, I have all this trauma and it's, it's why I need support and it's why I need, you know, because if, if something triggers my trauma, then I want to drink again. Um, what I ask people is, um, so what, what will it mean when you're over your trauma? What would that look like in your life? What would that feel like to you? Um, because I think there is a certain amount of, and I don't want to be rude, but I, I think there's a certain amount of pleasure yeah, no, people no. get in and having that. Having a disorder. Having something that, it, 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 maybe it's comfort or in, in really, I mean, there isn't or a human alive that hasn't experienced trauma. Right. Let me just jump in there because it's, sometimes I think it's just something that people can focus on because they haven't explored being outside the trauma bubble. Yeah. So, so or the therapy bubble or the recovery bubble. You know, you, you insulate yourself from moving mm-hmm. on and the risk of moving on. So you have these distractions that you hang on to. I, look, at, I remember I was immersed in therapy when I was a kid and it took up all my time thinking about how fucked up I was. Yeah. You know, and, and it was a it was an awful dead end and it ended with me being a really sad, depressed kid thinking constantly what was wrong with me. Yep. And then one day I met a guy named Jerry Brown who said, Jesus kid, you're you're normal. It's really okay. All the things you've gone through, other people have gone through and, and you can move on. He was the first living human being in nineteen years of a totally screwed up childhood who came along and said, You're normal. That changed my life. I mm-hmm. burst into tears. I sobbed uncontrollably for like an hour because I had never known that. Yeah. I never knew that I could be free. I didn't know that. And and it was it was an awesome experience. So I want the listeners to know you can grow past your traumas. I was I had basically every type of abuse a kid can get. You know, mm-hmm. every classification was done to me and when I was a child where you really don't have much control, right? Right. But there I was at 19 and I said, I have to make a decision whether this is going to kill me or not. Because thinking about my trauma, thinking about the rape, thinking about all the bad things that had happened, it wasn't curing it. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that did was when I let it go, I decided it was going to remain in my past and I was ready to move on. And that's true for a drinking problem. It's true for a career. It's true for moving out of a house. The same rules apply. You can move past these things. Yeah. Here's... Here's the thing. There's this other side of this whole trauma thing um, that that people don't talk about as well, which is being told that you should be traumatized by a certain experience. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you know what I yes. mean? Like, yes. like we get we get vets that come back from from war, and they're like, we're practically told you have PTSD. Like, yeah, uh, I don't, yeah, but I don't have PTSD. No, you have yeah. PTSD, yes, yes, and you processed. need to go on this medication. And yes. you need, so, so like when I experienced like a miscarriage, I experienced a miscarriage like fifteen years ago, or a little bit longer than that. Um, like I felt bad that I didn't feel worse. Like I yes, felt like I should have been. Right. I should be traumatized. I was. I was a bit relieved. My youngest was going to to um, start school and. You know, there was a part of me that was relieved, which made me feel worse. And then the way people treated me, like, oh, you know, you're this yeah. is so hard for you. Yeah. It made me feel worse that I was like, well, you know, actually, I'm okay. Yeah. And um, so I think there's a certain amount of this 
trauma expectation that goes on as well. Um, that almost you almost get rewarded for being tr- yes like, acting traumatized. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, go, going back to the same book, you know, we read that PTSD stuff in. Um, there were examples where we sent grief counselors and we sent trauma counselors over to countries to talk to refugees. Yes. And uh, tried to make them cry and process the way that we're supposed to do it here. <laughs> and they, they were like, and what they are you doing? rejected it. <laughs> what are they you were, doing? Yeah, it was just, it was foreign to yes. them. Yes. This idea, you know, and now think about that. A, a way to experience pain was foreign to them. Yeah. So we get taught a particular way to deal with a pain or a struggle or an experience. And maybe... If, you know, it's like a lot of people experience this the first time. I, you know, I experienced it when, you know, my friend Luke died mm-hmm. when he was young. Mm-hmm. He was 24. Yep. And um, it was probably a drug overdose, but he had some very bad kind of schizophrenia and bipolar and different conditions. And he was in and out of mental institutions. And um, I was very sad. But I was already, uh, but I also didn't have the reaction you're supposed to have, right? Right, right? Yeah. you know, yeah. And it's because, and on the one <clears throat> hand, I was like, okay, well, he was going through so much hell, and um, he was really tortured, so you know, it's it's okay, right? You right, know, you there's know a part saying? of that that was, I wish that he didn't go through that hell, yeah. and I wish he was still alive, but. But That's, he's free from all his struggles. This is, you know what I mean? So I wasn't, you know, I didn't fall apart. Right. Right. Like right, you're supposed right. to fall apart or something. It's, and and I think a lot of people experience that. And then they feel guilty about not falling apart. That's right. Yes. And, um, but, you know, I, you know, you start to realize that life and death happens and you're going to die one day. And, and you're going to feel the way you yeah. feel about it. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's yeah. okay. There's, there's a term, there's a, a term called third world resiliency. Mm-hmm. And third world resiliency is the fact that um, these people suffer constantly. Yep. They suffer from diseases that in the United States we wouldn't even think about getting, we will never get. Right. You know, with, where there's common medicines, they don't even get them. Um, they suffer with a high, high, high mortality rate of children, like exceedingly high. Um, and in, there, was a, there was a video that I saw in psychology class that when we were talking about this, where a lady was uh, starving, but she, was ha- she gave birth. And she gave birth on the ground, and she took the baby and she put it under a tree out in the middle of the desert because they were starving to death, and she walked away. And people were like, so they did a, uh, a survey in the class of this. And they were like, it's murder, it's all these things. But third world resiliency, she knew that if she took care of the baby, she would die. Mm-hmm. And so she had to make a decision. And for her, it was, you could see that it, it almost meant nothing. Because when you're in a certain set of circumstances, you'll behave a certain way. Yeah. And without judgment, you look at it and you go, oh, that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. that's third world resiliency. But yet, you know, so... We have these ideas about the way people are supposed to behave. Yeah. We really don't know. I mean, the the experiences I had, I think to myself, I don't think I would have had my suicide attempt at 19 had I not had therapy. 
and been with counselors yes. all through my teen years. I was yeah. experiencing a lot of bad shit, okay? Yeah. Like, if people knew my story in detail, they'd be like, oh, my God. But the truth is, I, I, I just got through it. You know, yeah. it was all this advice about how disordered I was, how I was doomed because of it, that just kept kept driving yeah. home that I would never be okay. Yeah, and, and so this is very important. So there's these narratives about how you're supposed to experience these events, yes. this kind of pain, and there's a narrative about what it means to get over a drug or to have a drug or alcohol problem. Which mean, and it says you have it for life. You're gonna valiantly struggle one day at a time. It's gonna be tough. Mm-hmm. Things are gonna test you. You're always gonna be triggered and wanted. Yeah, you're gonna be wanting this, and you're making such a great sacrifice by yeah. giving up. You'll never drink again. Yeah, a noble you know, sacrifice. A noble yes. sacrifice, right? And so this is gonna take a lot of work every day, and that's why people, and that's every person who. That's that's every storyline yeah. that you see. And it's anybody who's recovering who's in the news. The people who just get over it and move on, they don't you don't hear they're from them. They're not heroes. Yeah. And they're, <laughs> they're not the heroes they're of the not, recovery movement. They're not the heroes. Because they're right? not in the narrative. Yeah. They don't fit. They and they're not they don't that's not dramatic. Nobody wants to hear I did go totally crazy with drugs for a while. And then I just stopped, and now I live a normal, boring life. Yeah. And I don't. And I don't. That's not exciting. That's I not sexy. Don't spend every day disturbed about my past. And I, you know, I look at it and I go, "Well, we're human. We make we make mistakes." And wow, I, I went a little too crazy there for a while. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's that's you can you can do that. You can say, "Wow, I was." You know, like what? I don't care what point it is in your life. You know, if you're young like I was, you're like. God, I really didn't know how to start life, and I got yes. caught up in this drug thing, and um, and and went too crazy with it. Or you can be fifty, and I retired early, and I didn't know what to do with myself other than drink. Right. And and then I started thinking it was the only thing in the world. And okay, the, yeah, this is a human struggle. And then That's then right. I, then I woke up from that, and I just I just started moving on and, and getting just, on with things, and I just got on with my life, like. If it you, it you, can be it can be that story, not that you fight every day, but that you had a realization and you moved on. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And let, let me just say that we could call the natural remission, right? I hate remission because it implies disease. But, yeah. <laughs> but this this outgrowing of addiction, what what Steve just described, we could call that new world resiliency, right? The the decisions in our culture to just move on with your life, get over problems. If we didn't have psychology, I wonder sometimes if we didn't have psychology and modern media. Yeah. Right? Social media. Yeah, and social media. If you wipe that away, how would people get over their problems? I bet you they would get over them seamlessly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in a much more efficient fashion and and the entire help industry would probably evaporate. The only reason we need the freedom model is to correct all the mistakes that are being made in the regular industry. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's look, it, it's so insidious. The, the, the whole cultural idea that, that like, I stressed out when I was young. My kids were young. I stressed out about, I'm going to say something or do something wrong and traumatize them. Yeah. So that then they're going to grow up and be just as screwed up as I was because <laughs> yeah. my parents traumatized me. And, like, I worried about that day in and day out. 
until they got to be teenagers and I realized that they were the ones traumatizing me. (laughs) (laughs) But I even worried about it like with my pets when we moved like uh, the whole thing. I introduced a new dog to the situation which just happened to find us and now my cats are like traumatized and like it's so insidious that we think that kind of nonsense. Yeah, it's cultural. Yeah. It really is crazy. We've, we've, through through decades, softened the human spirit. People get therapy for their animals. I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we've softened to that level, to the to a level where we actually believe that the normal existence, the normal human existence, is somehow a trauma filled experience. And it's weak. And we, I, people I, are weak. Yeah, and and, and, and yeah. yeah, and that everything is a trauma, like yeah. you just described. It's not. It's no, not, it's, just it's life. life. It's life. I would say that to my kids when they got to be teenagers and they were bitching about everything. I'm like, look, it. Life is a shit show on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can't find something to to enjoy out of it, you're just never gonna be happy and yeah. you know enjoy anything. So let me bring something up that I think is important to this whole discussion. What does it mean if you are still struggling? Right? Yes. So here's what struggling with a substance use problem means. It means you're somewhere in the middle where you really want something better. Yes. You want these problems to end and you you wish you didn't do what you were doing. But you also really think this substance is necessary to your existence or at least using a lot is necessary. Very important. Whether you, you think it's the only way to have fun and not be boring you think it helps you with relief and you're in the middle you know so if you're struggling now and you've never done this you've never done the freedom model right like Mm -hmm. you're in the middle if you've done the freedom model and you're still struggling you're in the middle right the only way to resolve that is there's two things you sit down and think about it a minute for for a minute and and question the value of this drug and you start to ponder doing different things with your time. What would it be like to have a day without the drug? Um, you know, like yeah, and yeah, yeah. and and you you start to th- you think over those options a little bit. Really, would it be so bad, right? To 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 not party doing coke all weekend, right? Right. Like, would it would it really be so bad? Can I get up and do something different? You know, and you think about it a bit. And you try it. You experiment. You experiment. You go without it for a while. And and, th- and you somehow try to resolve that conflict where, you, that, or where exactly. you're in the middle and you feel like this is... you you got to break yourself of that idea. And there's just two ways. You think about it and get informed. And then you do it. You but try. I want to talk about the get informed part. For people that are really wrapped up in this is a battle and I and let me I want to talk directly to the listener out there that says god it's like I have two people in my head mm-hmm. you know I mm-hmm. and I and the bad one always wins out if yeah. you're in, if you're in that pool everybody in this room that's speaking right now has been there oh, that's yeah. number 1 mm-hmm. and it's horribly confusing mm-hmm. if you're in that confusing place where you feel like it's a battle you feel like it's a battle within your own mind um, what you need, you need to read the book. And it, this isn't some selling the book thing. No. I'm just telling you, we spent 30 years 
parsing this out so that you can understand what is actually going on. And we can clarify, we can, we can get you out of this mess where it's a wicked conflict in your mind. That has to happen first sometimes. Um, you got to get the facts. And the facts are that you can move past this. It's not a disease. Real fundamental ideas. It's not a disease. You're not disordered. You're not broken. It's, it doesn't have to be a battle. Yeah. You, know? you are pursuing happiness in this. And if you think you can be happier using less or not at all, then you can move on. Right? And you like will that's move what on. you need to that's yeah. the, one of the biggest foundations is make this not about the consequences and the negativity, but about the future and about being happier than you were with the drug. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And and yeah, you need to get all because a lot of people just they don't even realize it. They're still doing the AA angle. Yes. Which is to sit there and think, all right, don't drink. Oh, you God. owe this to your kids. Yeah. You know, or... Or right, you're like, just focused on the negative consequences well, that's what that you've that's experienced. One of the, right? That's yeah. one of the negative things. Is like, you owe this to your kids, you piece of crap. Yeah. You're telling yes. yourself something yes. like that. Or you're telling yourself, don't do this. You're going to lose your job. Um, and, yet, you know, all that stuff matters but it really shouldn't be it's in not, the forefront it's not going to pull you over the finish line it's you're going to be propelled over the finish line by thinking you know what i'm going to be happier let me say that in a different way so uh when you have a consequence with drinking or drugging a bad night you crash a car you go to jail and your wife is threatening to leave you right yeah, yeah. That can be a catalyst for a trajectory change in your life. Sure. So it's almost like you're this golf ball rolling down the golf course and you hit a stick. Yeah. And it knocks you into a different direction. It makes you look differently at your circumstances for a moment. Yep. yep. But it's not going to forever change the trajectory. Yes. No. Then you have to hit the ball again in a new direction. So you have to decide, well... Now that I'm looking around, I realize that my life just got pretty shitty, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe I can reevaluate and move in this new direction. Then you're motivated. Yeah. You know? So, look at Consequences can be a temporary catalyst for direction change, but it's not going to get you over the finish line. It's not going to put the ball in the socket. So, so yeah. if you want that to happen, you have to make moves to move in a new direction proactively. And, and when we say that you you're moving in a direction where you believe you can be happier, you really have to commit yourself to seeing that through. Yeah, to try. To, to really give it a good try. Because it's, you know, if you go one night and you're like, and you're and then you're yeah. ruminating that whole night, you're like, I just wish I was drinking. I just wish I was drinking. I just, you're sitting, which is kind of what I remember doing when I first oh, went I to AA. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, oh, like that is not going to, it, it really has to be, okay, I'm not going to do this for the next period of time. And I'm going to go do something else, whatever it is. I'm not going to sit and ruminate on why I'm not doing it. I'm going to live my life. That's right. You know, I'm not, I'm not ruminating on the house that I left. Right. I am living my life in this new house right. and pretty excited about it at this point, you know. So, so that's what you, you know, just imagine you're moving, you're moving out of an apartment or you're leaving a relationship. A lot of times when you only have these, you're in a relationship for a really long time and maybe the relationship was kind of going, it wasn't as good as it could be and, and, but you were on the fence for a while whether you wanted to leave the relationship or not. You Don't you really, when you leave that relationship, have to, 
have to just get out there and live yeah and and figure out I can be happier without this person yeah you know or or making making whatever change it is so that's exactly it and I want to say um I none of us do anything to maintain to maintain recovery we don't think of it as recovery in the first place but we don't do anything to not go off the deep end we don't right and you know I have you know people have said oh well yeah but you work doing this so that's like (laughs) that's just like being an AA sponsor you know what I mean essentially it's like it's like you're helping it's like well no I didn't do that for a long time and um, and oh, and, uh, by the way, by the relapse way, rates of professionals, <laughs> yes. people who move into the professional realm from AA and is NA, crazy high, so yeah. high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was basically, you know, it's just I lived my life, and now on the worst day, when the worst thing happens, when my father has a stroke, I don't sit there going, oh, I really wish I could have some heroin. That yeah, would make no, me feel better. Exactly. Because I don't look at heroin like that anymore. It's not a solution. It doesn't it's, have problem I don't, solving. In the minute right. you know that, you can have the worst days. You yes. can go through the worst periods yes, absolutely. and not be like, well, I really should start drinking. It's, it's not even an issue. And anybody can get to this point. Yep. Anybody can get to that point where they feel that way. And they do. And That's they do. the thing. Most people do. Most people do. Yes. So, um, and you can too. So uh, Yeah, and you can too. And though we say... No aftercare. Basically, if somebody works with us, we say, like, call us if you need to. Yep. There's no yes. shame in that. That's all we do. We don't want to set up anything formal because we want to say, you go explore your life and move on. You're and, not trapped. And we don't you think know. you're fragile. And we don't think you're fragile. But you need to talk. We're always here. That's that's basically how we handle it because uh, it's just um, you can move on and you should be given the space to move on. And, and we want to be the ones to say to you, you don't have to work on this forever. Right. And right. with that all said, and we're going to, we're going to wrap this up because we're going real long. But with that all said, if you have worked with us, if you've come through the retreat or if you've um, done private instruction, or if you're reading the book and you're going through it on your own, that doesn't mean that we will have, like if people call us because they're like, I don't know, get a little muddled yeah. in their brain about how all this works. We will happily have a discussion with you. It doesn't mean that we think that anything bad, like we have no judgment. Like if you at some point decided heavy drinking would be good for me right now and that's what I want to do, I, there's no judgment on that. Sure. And so people can can call and talk with us and cause, because it is countercultural what you're learning here. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do one conversation for the most part is all most people need to be like, okay, no, I remember. Or listening to one of our podcasts or watching one of our videos. That's why we keep doing what we're doing um, because it takes a whole lot of information to go against the grain. I mean, the yeah. serious grain that goes on in this culture. So, you guys have any last things to say? No, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help moving past recovery, we encourage you to call us at 888-424-2626. Or you can reach us through our website at thefreedommodel.org. Um, at that 
that site, we offer many free resources, including our videos, these podcasts, and our eBooks. You can get for our, for our listeners, you can get digital editions of our book for free. Um, use coupon code Freedom One Hundred at checkout for the Freedom Model for Addictions and Family One Hundred for the Freedom Model for the Family. Those are available at thefreedommodel.org. Also, paperbacks are of our books are available at Amazon and other online retailers. And if you think you might need detox, the preferred detox that we use is Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. Um, they will also help you to detox if you if you've been on replacement therapy meds. Um, like buprenorphine or uh, methadone, they will uh, they will detox you inpatient from that as well, which most detoxes won't do that these days. So thank you everybody from everyone here at the Freedom Model and the Saint Jude Retreats. All right. Bye. Thanks. We'll talk next time.